bowels of One Half Radio Plaza at Life Media Studios, Sidetracked with Armstead and Poosh. Brought to you by the Second Baptist Bar and Grill, your exorcism specialist. All right, and we're back with another episode of Sidetracked. My name's Armstead. My name is Posh. And this is another great week. A lot going on, for us at least. Boy, it's going to be a busy weekend, that's for sure. Oh, it's going to be a marathon fest for us. Uh, NATPA Championships this weekend uh, in Mason, Michigan. Uh, today they got the rules meeting. And uh, Friday they start with the last points poll of the year for the pullers who uh, still have to get one more under their belt. And then Saturday morning we dive in to figure out who's going to be on top. That's going to be a challenge, I think. Uh, just you know, with the way their points structure is and being able to drop events and the, and the championship counting too, um, I, we'd probably need a couple of full time statisticians to help us figure that all out. Oh God, and especially considering we've only, we only see. We see a few guys from the west, but the bulk of everybody we see is from the east. So yeah, there's going to be a lot of pullers time. we don't see. So it'll be a good time. I know uh, I'm excited for our first announcing gig for the year together. So. Yeah, yeah, my first. It'll be my first uh, first time out. First of twenty nine for me so far. Yeah, I have no idea what my count's going to be, and I'm still want to get sure one more. Scary. <laughs> I want one more. Thirty's a nice round number. Well, is that including uh, post five twenty fives? Yes. Yes, it is. Damn, we got to find one more then. One more. Well, that doesn't include anything from Canada. I'm sure I'll be over there with yeah, you for you'll a few be over of those. Me. So. For Southwestern Ontario, they're getting their schedule finalized this Sunday, so that'll be good for uh, anybody looking for some action in the Great White North, which is, a lot, yeah, a lot of it's south of us, but that's beside <laughs> the point. So, start off the show... As far as obituaries, none pulling related. No, none, none. Um, good to see Esden Lane seems to be recovering fairly well from his surgery yeah, last week. That's um, good. He's able to get up and walk around a couple times a day. So, Obviously a lot more serious surgery than I think a lot of us were figuring it being. Um, I don't know enough about it to say one way or another, but yeah, I guess some of the recovery pictures, it's like, ooh, Wow. Yeah, definitely. If they had something that could be plugged into that guy, it sure is. It was definitely kind of a shock for me, a guy who's been uh, a main headline guy out there, always out there, and to see him kind of completely incapacitated, it was definitely an eye-opener for me. You know, it's like yeah. seeing a family member uh, in rough shape. So, prayers to you, Edson. Uh, hopefully, make it a speedy recovery. Can be back out for this season. As always, if you have any obituary, somebody who passed away who is involved with the sport of pulling in one form or another, make sure you get a hold of us. Let us know. We'd love to highlight them and uh, make sure they get their due time. Get a hold of us at AP at SidetrackPulling.com or on Facebook at Sidetracked with Armstead and Post. Just shoot us a message. Tell us a little bit about the person, you know, what, you know, and we will give, uh, give them their due time in the spotlight. So I guess we can move on to the next thing we've taken up. A little happier note. Yeah. Birthdays. Got just a few of them coming up here in the next several days. Let's see who we got to start out with. I think yours and my start out will be the same person. I do believe so, yes. Mr. Jim Storm. 
sled operator extraordinaire par excellence one of the best in the country and I'll, I'll argue anybody on that point absolutely turning 51 this year uh this coming well tomorrow friday yeah friday so uh happy birthday jim let's see go through here uh probably same one for the next one for us more than likely mr greg Harmon. uh Next generation of pullers, uh, been in the seat with, and uh, hopefully will be out in the seat this year. The brand new Preparation H turning 28 on Sunday. Who else we got? Next one's probably the same for us, too. Well, I got one also uh, Monday. Spencer Fullerton. Nope, don't have Or Fulkerson, sorry. Uh Antique puller, uh, I believe, from uh, Indiana. Or, yep, from Indiana. Um, actually, got to meet Spencer when I was down in uh, Louisville. A good friend of uh, Eli Lisk, who I announced okay. with. So uh, definitely a shout out to Spencer. Good, great guy. Got really knowledgeable with the sport. So uh, definitely got to give him a shout out there. Uh, I guess we got to mention this one. We've been kind of informed we have to. Yeah, sort of probably best not to uh have dad upset with us yes uh one of the our favorite female pullers out there in the sport uh miss katie foro turning 20 years old uh on monday dad randy want to make sure we got uh that out and uh happy birthday to you katie one more year and you can partake in uh our maida's beer tent with us (laughs) oh oh boy (laughs) not your dad would approve that one, I don't know. Dad probably will buy her the first one in the beer tent. Yeah. He might not approve what will go on. Then he'll the probably pets. kick her out by 11. <laughs> <laughs> so happy birthday, Katie, and I guess we probably have the same next one also. I only got one more for Wednesday. You, me too. Uh, well, actually, I got oh, two. two. Yeah, two for Wednesday. Uh, Mr. Troy Kasiba of the Under Pressure Chevrolet. He's, he's one of them. Uh, turning 43. Man, you're getting old, Troy. no great guy great puller he's got that baby face though oh he does he does so happy birthday to troy and uh one last one for wednesday uh mr jeffrey atkinson oh yeah i do have him yep that's true yes turning 34 massey ferguson puller in armada well i guess we can mention rob weir in the same breath absolutely rob he uh yep rob another one from the armada area uh very active member in the sport as far as spectating so these days yeah but he's he did time on a super farm once upon a time yes 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 the jack roush of super farms in the state of michigan had like 15 of them back, yeah oh yeah back, he, back uh, about eight years ago <laughs> he definitely uh, got his uh due time out there so happy birthday to uh rob yeah and yeah. i've got one other for wednesday former ntpa super farm national champion Rob Zorn out of the state of New York with a Snoopy 2. He'll be 44 on Wednesday. He and uh, Brother Tom stepped away from the sport uh, kind of by force when uh, Snoopy and another super farm went up, unfortunately, in a shop fire a handful of years ago. And they decided, well, you know, we're young guys who are just starting to raise a family. We're going to step away from the sport. But we expect that probably in the future they will come back. So, uh, once again, just like with the obituaries, you got a birthday we didn't hit. Get a hold of us like... uh Randy did via his uh, son-in-law, Zach. And uh, get a hold of us, AP at sidetrackpulling.com or sidetracked 
with Armstead and Posh on Facebook. We haven't ventured out in the world of Twitter yet, so don't even think about it. I tried it once. I'm never going back. I told you you wouldn't like it. No, it's horrible. I hate it. So with that, we're going to take a quick break. Kind of going to be a shorter episode for you guys this week. We're not really going to talk much pulling. Very, very little I expect. So uh, stay tuned for what we got uh, in store for you right after this break. This is Sidetracked on Pulling Radio Network. Hey fans, Jeremy Krieger here to talk to you about truck and tractor pulling from a fan's point of view. One of the foremost publications on Facebook that's all about pulling 24-7. Truck and tractor pulling from a fan's point of view. Brought to you by Jamie Darbro, one of the biggest pulling fans on the planet. Check out his page at www.facebook.com forward slash truck tractor pulling from a fan's point of view. You'll be glad you did. And tell him Jeremy Krieger sent you. And we're back with Sidetracked with Armstead and Posh. So, what are we going to do this episode? This one's going to be totally different. Nothing really about pulling per se. Instead, it's, you know, middle of winter. Yeah, we got the National Antique Tractor Pulling Championships going on this weekend. We're going to cover that, and we're going to be there wall to wall. We'll have a lot on that next week, but... It's middle of winter, and it's probably an opportunity during this dead time to... Seinfeld episode. Seinfeld episode. Show about nothing. Kind Which a, is every show we do. Every show we do, but kind of a deeper dive into who the heck are these three idiots behind the mic and what makes us go, what do we do besides tractor pulling, and it isn't much. No, not much at not all. Not much at all. Yeah, basically tractor pulling pretty much that's it but we'll start off with you charles you've got some interesting hobbies that you haven't been involved with actively the past few years but mm, not not a lot drug me into time. yeah you know it's i'll back up even further than that you know you listen to this show and what what i characterize myself as is uh, an extroverted introvert and you say well how the hell is that how can you even do that and you know you, you're on a radio show. You pay you announce, extra for that, right? Yeah, you pay extra for that. You know, you know, you do a radio show. You you announce tractor pulls. Your day job is to talk to people all day and every day. How do you be an extroverted introvert? Well, it's very simple. In every single one of those cases, I'm the one who controls the conversation. So you know only what I want you to know. And within this medium, especially theater, their mind's pretty powerful thing. And if you listen to this show and know nothing else about me, you probably imagine that I'm six foot five and survive on nothing but Budweiser. And that's, well, that's the fine. truth right there. That's fine. That's fine. That's the image that I've created for you. And I want you to believe that, but it isn't true. I'm actually quite a dork. <laughs> He's actually 6'3 and survives on Budweiser and bourbon, but. <laughs> you drank a lot. 6'3, <laughs> you're generous. <laughs> Well, Doing better we're, than me. we're a PG show, so we're not even going to go into generosity. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, it's spiraling downhill already, and we're not even five no. minutes into the first, no, first half of the segment. And actually, if I tell you what my secondary primary hobby is, you'll probably begin to read in that I'm overcompensating in some way for something. <laughs> <laughs> is this true? Every time. <laughs> 
This man has no dick. <laughs> <laughs> you just open yourself up for that you one every time. I don't even care because I know it's coming. It just doesn't. <laughs> I used to get mad. Now I just wait for an opportunity to get even. <laughs> Which isn't very much fun because, yeah, you don't piss off the sound engineer. Uh, no. No, I don't. <laughs> so, your craziness. My craziness, my the second thing I think about most in this world beyond, beyond the tractor pulling stuff is... Actually, third. Come on, let's be honest. Okay, yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Never mind what that is. <laughs> Oh, it's deteriorating quick, guys. Hang on. It's going to be a bumpy ride tonight. <laughs> Speaking of which, how is Tanya? <laughs> Depending on the night, number one or number two most thought of subject is going to hope that it's a bumpy night. Her dad does listen to the show, right? Uh, I know he follows us on the Facebook page. <laughs> Hope you're listening, Gary. I did not make him do any of this. It's not my fault. <laughs> yeah, boy. So your craziness, you mess with chainsaws. Lots and lots of chainsaws. Yeah. Um, the house I used to own, uh, we were out in the country, and primary heat source when we built it, the first winter was propane, and after paying that bill for one winter, I said, uh, no, no, no more. So we got the out- outdoor wood boiler. And for the first couple of years, most of my wood cutting was done with a simple, you know, big box store Husqvarna $200 homeowner special that was really meant to maybe limit tree a couple times a year. And that's it. And I just beat on this thing for about 80 full cords of wood and finally broke the uh, the clutch spring in it, which is a $4 part and easy enough to fix. But at that point, it's like, OK, I need to upgrade. So I bought a Husqvarna 372 pro grade saw and that I giggled. The first time I used it, it, I literally thought it was, the, I was like, I knew there were pro-grade saws and there was such a thing as a fast saw, but the first time with that, I literally giggled. Couldn't believe it. And after that, you know, I started combing eBay and looking for saws and, and really got into the old stuff, had a liking for McCulloch because dad had one. And that just became an absolute obsession because those guys made cart racing engines that drop into saws. Oh, was that bad to find out? <laughs> Actually, that's part of what got you and I hanging out more than just yeah, at it tractor was. pulls. It was. What What was it? I found an old C5 home light. Yeah, that was it. Yep. And uh, we still don't have the damn thing running. It needs crank seals, but... <laughs> right. It was a $20 saw, and you came over, and we putzed with it. You brought some of your saws over, and... Actually, I still have the one at my place. I was going to say, has he gotten those out of your garage yet? I was going to say, you've got 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 more than one. There's probably a good dozen of mine still in your garage. I know at one point last year, we had 26 or 28 saws. Sounds about right. In my garage. I think I think at one particular point, I I wouldn't call them complete saws, but at one particular point in time, I owned north of 40 and, you know, after the divorce, a lot of the stuff that I knew I was going to monkey with got sold. And some, I regret a couple of those leaving, but I think I've, at last count, I've still got 26 or 27. And most of them are complete and ready to run. There's a couple that are in cases and need restoration. Yeah, I know I've got, well, my favorite of yours because you've got mine right now. Hopefully that'll be running soon, but. It's com- I cleaned it. I just got to put it back together. <laughs> <laughs> a 
Well, we're going to cut that show this show short because I want my chainsaw back. And... <laughs> no. Great heavens. What kind of radio show is this? Well, now we're Chainsaw 101 today. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> and we're going to dive in. I'm sure we're going to get into some electronics and some goofy stuff when we hit Mr. Sound Engineer. And That's only... And the saws is only like the number two. I mean, we could... <laughs> We could really tee off on some of the nerdy shit I get into, but... Then you got me. I like trains. I'm 28. That's an understatement. I still like trains, (laughs) but... To say that Drew likes trains... (laughs) (laughs) is like saying the Hindenburg was a bit of an accident. Last time I smoke on an airship... (laughs) Well, I guess we might as well that. Yes, I. That's my main hobby. I I love tractor pulling. I love farming. My dad. I grew up farming with my dad and the family farm we've had in the family for. Oh, what is it? Sixty six years now. So more than sixty four, something like that. But uh, I grew. You up, might stick around long enough to see a centennial farm sign. That's my goal is uh, for the centennial placard for the yeah. family farm. So. And uh, my youngest brother is right there with me. He, we want to kind of take over. Cool. So, you know, that is a hobby of mine. I enjoy it. I enjoy pulling. Don't get me wrong. It's a passion of mine. But, yeah, trains have always been my thing. Uh, grow up, growing up, watching Thomas the Tank Engine and literally, what is it, probably a quarter mile across the field from my parents' place. Is it place. even that? Yeah. I know the 75-300 zoom lens I have will pull a 50-foot boxcar into full frame. <laughs> so it's got to be right I'm about sure, there. I'm sure he also knows the drop <laughs> on a 7 mil across that field, too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the thing you have to know is that, that he bought that lens for that Just purpose. for that purpose. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, it's worse than that. Is Yeah, I grew up with the train line going in front. My mom used to tell stories and... Hell, I might as well tell you guys, because I know she'll tell you as soon as you talk to her. Me being young, getting out of the bath, and first thing I do, I'd hear a train coming. So I'd run bare-ass naked into the <laughs> picture window. We had a seven-foot picture window in front of the house on a main road. And I'd sit on the little uh, little ledge that was on there. It was like four inches, and I'd watch a train go by. And it's Well, thanks for that mental set. image I'll never get out of my head. <laughs> hey, I can't tell you it was any different for me as a kid in town. Uh, Tom Klein had a Ford backhoe. And I could hear that thing coming three blocks away, and I'd be at the window when he went by. <laughs> <laughs> but like Nick alluded to, yeah, I bought the 75-300 lens just for shooting trains. But not only did I buy a 75-300 lens, well, originally I got in a little bit of photography just because I wanted to take pictures of trains. I bought a K2 Canon 35mm camera. Rebel. Loved it. Just fell in love with the camera. And that was like a $600, three, $300, uh, $35, at the time I bought it, I think it was like three $400. Sounds about right. For the camera. And uh, at that point, to me, as far as digital cameras were concerned, it was always a point and shoot. Well, that doesn't work at something that's moving, you know, 45 miles an hour down a track and you can't go, hey, stop, back up, I missed my shot. <laughs> <laughs> so... Well, and I bought the camera. The guy goes, well, there's this digital camera, too. Canon Rebel XT. And I tried it out, and I'm like, you know, I like it. So I bought the K2. Two weeks later, I go back and buy the Canon Rebel XT. <laughs> the K2 is still sitting on the shelf, and it's only had two rolls of film to put through it. <laughs> and so, yeah, I dumped 
a thousand twelve hundred dollars on a camera just to shoot pictures of trains. You just reminded me to buy thirty-five millimeter film for this weekend tomorrow. I forget because I intend to drag my bag of cameras to Mason. Yeah, I got to grab mine. I know my at least charged. I bought all my cameras to take pictures of pretty girls. I've done that with mine, but I can't share them. <laughs> I can't say I paid for my... Yeah, Keep it clean, please. <laughs> can't say I paid for my Nikons or Leica Flexes. Those were uh, hand-me-downs from, from Granddad. Which, you know what? I mean, we're on a completely sidetrack. You got to tell it. Wasn't your grandfather a photographer for yeah, he, a newspaper? Yeah, yeah, he worked for the Detroit Free Press for a number of years. Also did contract work for Park Davis Pharmaceuticals and I don't know how, who all else... Uh, different places and yeah that you know he, i've got tons of uh 35 millimeter stuff i've got medium format cameras that i don't even know how to use i've never bothered to even learn them there it's so far above my head and to to see some of the pictures that he had taken down through time you just look at it and go i don't even know how how in the world did he even do that and to him that was just you know those were the tools he made his living with so it's cool to cool to be able to use them which is cool because that ties in with you, Nick. I mean, part of your day job is a photographer. Yes, photography and video. So what got you into that? I mean, I've known you for 11 years now. Sounds about right. And I don't even know. I know the full story. I mean, I know you've always been a geeky guy as far as tech I, stuff. I, I'm but. a giant freaking nerd. Um, anything with a button knob or wire catches my interest. Um I honestly don't know how I got into video. I just kind of ended up getting a couple of projects uh, stuck on me through a church I was involved in because I was one of the resident nerds um, and fell in love with it. And then via that, fell in love with photography. Um, just kind of happened. Because I know when I had my, I bought my XT, you didn't even have a full frame or uh, DSLR yet. Didn't I? I thought no. I had the 20D at that time. No, you didn't even have the 20D. It was after we did our trip to Wyoming, you bought the 20D. Okay. You yeah. still had your little kind of half-ass point-and-shoot. How would we have that, like, Fujitsu piece of crap or yeah, something? Yeah, you thought it was <laughs> amazing, but I know you and I both shared a lot of trigger time. Because when I bought that XT, it was literally, what, two, three weeks before we went out to Wyoming. On a family vacation, the our in-laws took us all out to Wyoming, South Dakota, went Mount Rushmore and all that. And, yeah, by then I had the uh, 75-300 lens. Yeah, because I had bought all my glass within a week or two of buying the camera. <laughs> I've only got the three lenses, but, I mean, I got the 1855 that came with it, a 2890, and a 75-300. And yeah, I have to show him some of the goofy thirty-five millimeter stuff. Oh, got. you've got some awesome stuff. Yeah, I would not want to have to buy any of that today. I couldn't afford to. I, I don't even want to think about how much I've put in glass over the years. And the the best one, the the zoom lens got jammed. It needs to be rebuilt. That that one is, you know, I don't even want to think. But I know, yeah, it wasn't long after that you went and bought your first. Uh, DSLR. Yeah, I think I bought the 20D with yep. my first one. Which was a nice camera. I kind of wish I would have got that one from me because that was a nice little upgrade for me. But, I mean, hell, I haven't even really used mine to its full extent. <laughs> I'd love to go digital, but I'm still all old school manual. Set it yourself. 
That was my theory. That's why I bought. Hey, the I set everything manual myself anyway. I just use a dial to do it instead of a uh, traction point on the lens. True. True. It's all there when you've got the experience and the time behind it. Um, I don't use a light meter anymore because my brother and I broke it. We haven't <laughs> bought another. <laughs> but I also I also pretty what pretty quickly learned you know because a lot of the stuff I was starting to do was was pulls primarily at night. And literally after about six thirty, the lighting conditions change about every three minutes, and if that. you don't have time to set up a light meter and okay, I need this for you. Just learn to wing it and eyeball it. Yeah, and over the years, I won't tell you, I'm, I, I won't say I'm proficient at it, but I can, I can do fine until the light drops to a point where I need a flash. Because a lot of times, because of what we're doing in addition with announcing, I'm not close enough where it's going to do anything anyway. So you just okay, too dark, put it away. Not going to do anything yeah. now. Yeah, that's same with mine. I mean, I can get a little bit further with the digital. Yeah, um, you need some crazy good glass when it starts getting dark. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not saying I got top-of-line glass. I've got entry-level glass, but it's it does what I need to do. I mean, I'm going to get some pictures up. I got to you, – you guys have all seen the stack of stuff I've got from Bowling Green. I got to get scanned up. Uh, one of my favorite ones is a five-photo series of uh, – what was it? Double stuff. Before it even had paint on it. Blowing up right in front of me on the south track of Bowling Green. And I've got it from moment of combustion all the way through the full fireball. So I got it. I, I was lucky enough to luck into one of those at the um, ATPA Winter Nats uh, several years ago of uh, Jeff Hurt blowing Running Bear up. What uh, time? When it was a Deutz Alice. This would have been, <laughs> yeah, exactly. 2002, I think it was, and and it was. It's funny. I I remember thinking to myself, I, the initial shot I intended to take of the tractor was probably about 90 feet off the line, and he he was 90 feet out. I took the snap, and I could see just in peripheral there was a ton of haze out the stacks, and I just the brain went re-rack the camera. This is not going to end well. And sure enough, sorry Jeff, it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> But I kind of think I kind of think I did a pretty good job with a sequence of fireball shots, considering I didn't have a motor drive on the bottom. I had to re-rack that thing every single time by hand. That was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's one thing that's gotten you more involved with the sport, Nick, is uh, coming out and shooting photos with me. I know absolutely. A few years ago, when I was mainly involved with the antiques, but uh, I know last year you came out to a uh, couple thumb events with me and came out two other pulls that I put on and. Actually, I think, what was it? First time you actually went and shot a pull with me was out in Shiawassee. Just you and I, we did the one antique, but you came out with me to Shiawassee, the Great Lakes Classic, uh, 2014, if I remember right. The very first time I ever came out with you, we went to Goodall's. Yep, that was the first time. But I mean, the second time you actually finally came out where it was just you and I was, we went to the Great Lakes Classic. I could be right, yeah. So, and that's always a fun one to shoot because you got... Two tracks running, and yeah. there's always some great action, and some you know a lot of the same looking vehicles, but you actually get looking at them a lot of difference. Yeah, but oh man, I mean, I I could tee off on trains, but I really can't right now. You know, <laughs> <laughs> well, thank God. <laughs> Every house I've lived in so far has been within a quarter mile of the tracks, and I've lived in three different places, and <laughs> all my neighbors go, "Don't the horn, you know, the horns we keep wake you up at night?" I go. What? 
horns. <laughs> what horns? I can't sleep without them. <laughs> it, you know what? It got to be because when I went where I went to college was like that. There's there's the main the main tracks along ninety four there mm-hmm. uh, run right through the campus and. It, in the fall, it would bother you for about the first three nights, and then after that, you got so used to it. And then in the spring, when you'd move back home, you're like, like you know, I can't sleep without the sound of the train a block away. Yeah, where's my middle of the night? Uh... Yeah. Serenade. Well, what's gotten to be really cool is uh, my wife. I mean, I'd have model trains. You guys know that. I got a couple. <laughs> <laughs> no. In a couple different scales. and But my wife, Steph... Um, she was kind of there when I first really got rolling into them hard and heavy. And uh, she's gotten to have as much of a passion as for as for it as I do. And uh, it's funny, you know, she'll call me up. She'll be going over the overpass on Michigan Road, just right at Tunnel Yard here in Port Huron. There the trains come across from Canada through the tunnel. And she'll go, oh, you won't believe what I saw. There was a Union Pacific there and yada, yada, yada. She purposely drives, she drives slower over that overpass than I do <laughs> to see all the trains. <laughs> She's hoping to catch something you haven't seen. <laughs> Which, I mean, even today I saw a unit and I was kind of mad I didn't have a camera ready. But, you know, it, it's cool. I'm involved with the historical group with it. You know, I'm involved with the Port Huron Detroit uh, Historical Society. Not as much as I wish I could be because of, well, this kind of spiraling off and getting more heavily involved in announcing that I kind of had to step away from three other groups I was involved with. So there's a guy who comes into our, our, our bank branch and, and, and Barry who works for me, he, he's, he's a, he's into the trains too. Well, he, he got talking to this fella and, um, this guy knows, knows a gentleman down in Ohio who sold his railroad and now has his own private roundhouse and all this stuff, and he, he goes down there once oh, a month to help him out. I can't think of the guy's name, but it's the Central Ohio Railroad. Yeah. Ohio Central Railroad. Yep, yep. And he's probably got one of the most beautiful brick yeah. roundhouses you've he's ever seen. He's shown us pictures, and it's just like, He's wow, got a ton of steam engines. He had probably one of the most successful uh, short lines ever revived, um, buying up bits and pieces that broke off from Penn Central back in the day, Conrail. You know, late, the uh, um, offshoot of Penn Central after that collapse. And this guy has taken this and built it up at, to where it was a very viable yeah. railroad, buying a lot of older equipment that the Class 1 railroads, your main ones, you know, that you see out there, Union Pacific, Burlington Northern, places like that, they've offcast. And he's taking units that are 50, 60 years old and getting them running in everyday freight use. And then he goes, and he's got probably 14 steam engines yeah. on top of it. And I guess he's got, even though he sold the railroad, he just, all he's got to do is pick up the phone. Hey, I got, I'm taking this out today. Give me your schedule. Can I go out on the line? Yep. Yeah, it's it's cool. Honestly, from a rail fan standpoint, it's great what he did. And what concerned me was when he sold off the short line is it's like, okay, what's going to happen now? Yeah. I guess the, the, another connection to pulling um, that I didn't realize talking to this this older gentleman, and I'm sorry, I don't remember his name off the top of my head. Um, You'll have to find out because I need to talk to this yeah, guy. Yeah, <laughs> he, he, he made a pulling connection. He tells me the McMurtry's out here to have a steamer out here. Just that, you know, it's not connected to anything. It's not on a line, but they have something. I didn't even know that. I'm kind of going to have to bug them next time yeah. we see them out because... Uh, I know, well, right here in Port Huron, you know, we have the 
Port Huron, Detroit, you know, historical society, they just bought back one of their switchers that uh, they had sold off and they just bought it back from Knoxville, but they also have one of the the um, caboose that went with it. And they've, they're doing a lot of stuff there. A really great group. But um, also, and most people don't realize this, we have the Carnegie Museum right here in Port Huron. Right. The Port Huron Museum, most people know it as, is there's a greenhouse behind it. It's a little Quonset hut greenhouse. What most people don't realize is there is a steam locomotive in there. Yeah, I didn't know the that. The D.B. Harrington which was a locomotive that ran on, I'm drawing a blank, it was like the Bay City Saginaw Port Huron line, and uh, it was a narrow-gauge line for logging back in the early days of the thumb. So it's a smaller locomotive, but it's never been out on display. It's literally <laughs> in a greenhouse, and uh, there was talks of them selling it up to Beaver Island about three years ago. How in the world would you get it there? And for those who don't know where Beaver Island is, it's out in the middle of Lake Michigan. That you, you're not driving anything there. Uh, ferry is what they were going to do it. Ferry it out. But uh, I mean, you can fit it on a 55 ton low board. The tracks a low okay, board. Okay, so it's a, yeah, it's you small know, enough where you could do that. All right. It's really not that massive, but I mean, gotcha. even a not that massive steam locomotive is still extremely heavy with all the boiler fluids yeah. and, you know, I mean, it's a built pressure cooker. Yeah, it is. That went down <laughs> the line, you know, but, you know, that's kind of cool. Most people don't realize, I mean, everybody thinks as far as local, you know, steam engines in the area, everybody thinks of Marysville Park. Yeah, there's that one sitting there. Mm-hmm. The 060, uh, I believe it's uh, Baldwin. My brother will correct me if I got that wrong. I've got the build sheet for it because that was a Detroit Edison locomotive. And my mom, through the archives from working at Detroit Edison, got me the original build sheet that Edison got for it, along with the story of them donating it after it got done switching coal trains at Marysville Power Plant that's gone now. No. Yeah, they dropped it. Um. There's still a few pieces of the boiler left sitting there. There's a lot of pieces of it. <laughs> yeah. They're Some very, assembly very small. required. I mean, this is a Lego kit from hell. Yeah. It look, <laughs> at, th- at this point, it looks like a rusty pile of shredded wheat. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I've got the information on that. And actually, on my Flickr page, I have a uh, whole group set aside to the Detroit, Ed- Detroit Edison locomotives. Like I said, I'm going to go full geek on you about this, but... Detroit Edison was one of the few power companies back when Penn Central, which was the Pennsylvania Railroad. Everybody's familiar with that from Monopoly. One of the premier railroads, you know, in the heyday of railroads. And then you had the New York Central, which ran parallel to it from New York City to Chicago. Damn near duplicate lines. Well, that wouldn't have had to do anything with turf wars among certain uh, industry titans back yes, in the day. Yes, oh, God, you love story the tycoons. Oh, oh, I love that. That was a great series, wasn't it? Oh, my God. I watched that series multiple, multiple times. I think I've told Nick about watching go, it. Too. Go on Netflix and look up The Men Who Built America. You will love it. It's great. It is probably the best story of Andrew Carnegie, J.D. Rockefeller, um, J.P. Morgan, Cornelius Vanderbilt. And Henry Ford. Henry Ford, Thomas Edison. Edison and Tesla figure. Tesla fit in there. I mean, it is just What was this again? The Men Who Built America. America. It's it's a five-part miniseries. I I bought it on DVD. It's great. How do I not know about this? 
I swore I've told you about this oh, before. You, you it's, gotta check it out. It's on there. It, you must not have been paying attention. I've, I've watched it probably two dozen times, and then I went and bought the DVD set. So that way, when Netflix ruins me and takes it off there, and I start boycotting, <laughs> I can still watch it. But yeah, I watched it and replayed it so the kids could see. It. And the kids, even you know, my oldest is is eleven, youngest is uh, what is she seven, and even they got into it. So. Yeah, but you know, these railroads ran side by side. Well. After World War II, airplanes were it. Yeah. That's what we used for travel. The interstate system came about due to uh, Eisenhower's efforts to get the interstate system built. And passenger railway just fell Fell apart. by the wayside. And not only that, people complain about railroads and that. They don't realize is up until only about 20 years, 20, 30 years ago, the railroads were the most heavily regulated industry out there. They are the whole reason the ICC, which is now the NTSB, you know, the Interstate Commerce Commission, now National Surface Transportation Board, um, they regulated it so heavy they couldn't raise rates. They couldn't abandon lines that didn't make any money. They might have one customer on it that runs every once a month. Went right back to the trust busting. So exactly. That's what brought all that about. Well, at the same point, it was killing railroads. So they were merging. Well, New York Central and Pennsylvania Railroad decide, you know what? We run identical to ourselves. Why don't we merge together and we'll save money? Well, great idea if you can get rid of them lines. If. And they couldn't. And it was a disaster to begin with. None of their systems for dispatching or anything matched up. I mean, it was like the worst imaginable business setting you could ever try to put together. Two railroads that have been enemies forever now have to coexist together and make money. Well, within four years, it went completely bust and shut down the, um, I know I'm going, but shut down the Northeast, uh, Northeastern God part of the almighty, U.S. are we freaking dorks? <laughs> but I mean, this killed the north, what northeast, and of I'm the still US. being pretty quiet. <laughs> <laughs> so at that time, it got to the point. Penn Central, if they had to fix a locomotive, they couldn't even go to the local hardware store and get bolts because the company's credit was that bad. The hardware store wouldn't give them ten dollars in bolts because they knew they wouldn't get paid. So at that time, Detroit Edison built their Monroe power plant, the biggest one they have, um, coal-fired. Mm-hmm. Well, that depended mainly on coal trains plus uh, bring um, docks to the docks. Plus the docks, so they get coal from uh, the Powder River Basin. But that was a little later on. That coal seam was really out, utilized more. But a lot of it came from uh, Brownstown, Pennsylvania. You just hit another thing that I mean, if we want to go off in another direction, and you'll you'll follow me there. You mentioned the Powder River Base, but I could go off on mining. It's oh, we can go off on mining here in a second. Yeah, that's interesting to me too. But what got me going? Oh dear lord! <laughs> <laughs> what got me going with the trains and that is Detroit Edison went to General Electric and EMD Electromotive Division of GM and ordered their own locomotives, which is now part of Caterpillar. See, I knew that. Actually, it's part of Progressive Rail. Okay, I'm wrong. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I can get going on progressive rail and Caterpillar and the locomotive industry and my opinions on them because I'm a very he- pop, I'm a very heavy EMD guy. I don't care for GE as much, but 
Beside the point. Anyways, they went and ordered all their own locomotives so that way they can ensure they had the motive power to get the coal from the mine to the train to keep, you know, to the power plant to get it going. There was a couple other companies that uh, went and did similar things, but not to the scale. I mean, they went and bought 30-some-odd locomotives at probably half a million dollars a piece just to ensure that, and there's still some out there running, but... Yeah, I just went full geek on you guys. And he, he mentioned Electromotive, which makes locomotives. Not to be confused with Electromotive, which built the very nice IMSA GTP Nissans in the late <laughs> 1990s, <laughs> which is a little bit of an insight with that brilliant non sequitur into what a huge <laughs> auto racing geek I am. What in the hell are you talking about? <laughs> Massive auto racing geek, except for NASCAR. I haven't paid attention to NASCAR in 10 years. They lost me. I don't give a shit, but... I know you're a big Le Mans fan. Or, um, yeah, the European scene is very interesting to me. Drag racing is very interesting to me. I spent a lot of time reading and studying both, but also the history too, going back in time and, and reading about the way it was all the way back to the beginnings of auto racing. So, yeah, if it has an engine that gets strapped to it and they race it, I'm see, generally with, pretty interested. Where with that, that correlates for me is I never uh, – top fuel's cool. Drag racing's cool for me. I'm not an over-geek on it, but – I'm a Bonneville Salts flat guy. Yeah. You know what? That's something we haven't talked about. There you go. Bonneville is one of the last places on the planet where you can really, really, really innovate with what you're doing in terms of motorsports. And when I missed uh, whatever it was, week three or week four uh, for, for my girlfriend's sister's wedding, I lucked into the opportunity to meet one of the, the fastest racing teams on the planet. Um if, you know, if you follow Bonneville at all, you know the Vesco name. Uh, Don Vesco has held the world wheel-driven speed record and also the, the motorcycle record. And uh, we were out exploring, uh, Tanya and her parents. We went out. Uh, there was a ghost town south of uh, uh, Rockville, Utah, that we went to go check out, and that was kind of neat. And then we spent some time climbing up around on uh, Smithsonian Butte out there uh, one morning. And then after we left, we're coming down this dirt to, it's 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 a dirt road. It's not quite a county spec road, but it's more than a two lane. <laughs> a little more than a two track. A little more than a two track. And, and there's this field sitting there, and there's an old whatever Euclid road grader sitting out there rusting away and not very fascinating. But there's a 50s panel truck, and it is straight and clean, no front bumper. Oh, you know, Nate, who and his brother, they're looking for something from that era. They're looking for one of these Chevy trucks. So we stop and tanya gets out and takes some pictures of it and there was a new holland um hay baler sitting right in front of it so i that could a square baler couldn't so i couldn't see all of it and uh, she gets out takes pictures climbs back in the, in the rental car and, and i pull forward through this field and, and i get around past where that baler's sitting and i turn back and look and there's moon eyes hubcap covers on this thing that's different now i'm interested so i get out and i look at the hold on let me guess there's no front bumper there's several slabs of wood on the front. There was nothing. There was nothing. There I f- was. I figured that there would have been. And plus, I see f- into the quarter panel, just in front of the rear tire, Frenched in, is a, an, a, the exhaust, NACA duck style. And not only that, the front axle, it's a four-wheel drive. The front axle has a dished moon cap on it to cover the four-wheel drive hub, which I've never seen. I didn't know they made them like that. So now I'm snapping pictures. I got my phone out. I'm just like, this is awesome. I'm thinking this is somebody's Bonneville push start truck. 
get back in the car and I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm now like, I'm on full alert. I'm looking everywhere. Well, across the street and a couple, probably a hundred or so yards down the road is the first house. We roll by and you can look into the driveway and the one door's up and I see a nose cone and I'm like, that ain't wide enough for an airplane. There's something in there. It's gotta be somebody's Bonneville car. So I double back and look back and yeah, sure enough, you can see it plain as day. We kind of forget about it, go do our touristy thing the rest of the, the rest of the day, and then at dinner, I just like I, you know, well, what it, what had triggered it was actually Tanya had seen a covered trailer in the back that said Team Vasco on it. So right away I knew I'm like, all right, it's this is the house, this is the family, somebody connected to this racing team lives here. So at dinner I pull up my phone and I'm flipping through and they've got a website. And there's a phone number and an email. I'm like, I'm not going to call them. It's, you know, 7 o'clock at night. I'm not going to be that guy. But I just fire off a very polite email explaining who I am. Hey, we're in town. Happen to drive by your place. We're interested. Do you mind if we come by and see what's going on? Figured I'd never hear anything. Before dinner's over, I get an email back. Yeah, 11 o'clock tomorrow morning. So we go back and it's <laughs> it's Rick Vesco's house. And Don passed away a few years ago, but it's, it's Rick Vesco, the guy who built these things. And you walk in the shop and here on a frame jig, he's restoring their world record motorcycle. It had two Kawasaki four-cylinders that shared a common turbocharger. They went 330 some odd miles an hour on this thing. And they're restoring it because at one point it had been crashed and it was pretty torn up. They're supposed to restore it and... The first records they set was with Yamaha Power. The second was with Kawasaki Power, so the two different paint schemes. He was going to do one side with the Yamaha scheme, the other side with the Kawasaki scheme, and then it was going to go to a, a museum supposedly in Alabama is where it's going to wind up. That's in there. Hanging from the rafters is the first Turbinator that's gone 470 miles an hour at Bonneville. Just It's just hanging from nylon straps sitting there. He's like, yeah, I'll, if, if somebody beats us for the record, all we got to do is take it down, put the engine in, it's ready to go. It's just sitting there. And then sitting on another trailer next to it, uh, down it is the new the new Turbinator 2 that they want to go over 500 miles an hour wheel-driven. Four-wheel drive, Lycoming T55, same engines that yep. Gardner Stone uses with. on the General. That's what's in it. Um, they had it on a chassis dyno uh, sometime, sometime last year. And um, they they had figured out that the you know the wheel speed on it was probably good for well in excess of 500. Uh, the thing accelerated. I, I forget the spec now. They 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 started at zero, and in 21 seconds they went from zero to like 400 miles an hour on the wheel dyno. The world's fastest production car, the Bugatti Veyron, can't get to 200 in the same amount of time. So that tells you the kind of power. I mean, this thing will just gone. And we're poking around the shop. He's got various old engines sitting on stands and stuff that they used in record cars. The original little giant streamliner his father built is on a trailer out back that everybody and their brother seems like has gone 300 miles an hour in this thing. It's like if you hang around the team long enough, you get your shot in that one. That's still sitting there, <laughs> but couldn't have been a nicer guy. He worked for years at, at Hooker Headers as a development engineer, owned an ATV shop, did all kinds of stuff. We did eventually find out the panel truck was not a push truck. It just was something that a guy who worked for him had, had kind of dressed the thing up and then just left it there in the field one day. I didn't bother to ask what he wanted for it because I would love to have it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, real I'm disappointed you didn't because that would be freaking awesome. Uh, yeah, but no, awesome opportunity to meet, the, to meet him. Full of fantastic racing stories. 
They've done some cool stuff at Bonneville over the years. And I hope the thing that ties into what we we have to confront in pulling is the challenge they're facing now with mining operations on the salt flats and what the Bureau of Land Management is allowing them to do, the federal government's allowing to go on out there. It's ruining the racing surface. So he is involved with a group called Save the Salt. Uh, they're taking taking donations to help with trying to restore the ability to race at Bonneville like, uh, like we've always known historically. And it's sort of the same kind of ordinance crap, frankly, we're up against in every motorsport. You know, one thing I've always kind of thought about as far as land speed records is everybody thinks of Bonneville, but they don't realize that the land speed record right now, first car to go supersonic, did not happen at Bonneville. No, Black Rock Desert, Nevada. Yep. On the dead salt or the dead the lake alkali, beds. Yeah, the alkali lake bed. And it, I kind of wonder why we're not seeing more utilized there other than pot. I, I know there's a lot of Air Force stuff in that out in that area, too. I think the other thing that they're, the thing that they're fighting at BlackRock, the other thing that's there is Burning Man, which Google yep. it. The hippies. It's like the, if you're the big environmental, sorry, Nazi, Burning Man is like your mecca to like just totally trip out, dude. And the fact that there's jet engine Charles cars trying to stoners coming out. jet engine cars trying to rocket across the exact same flats that you're on at you know a thousand miles per hour, I imagine doesn't jive too well. So, <laughs> which is probably also why the same team that did that is now building Bloodhound SSC, and their intentions are to go to Hackskeen Pan, South Africa, and I think for 2016 their goal is to trial the car up to up to the sound barrier, and then in 2017, they're going to push for 1,000 miles per hour. And which, one thing, you know, you've talked, you know, we can go back to uh, people hear the sound barrier and think supersonic. They think airplanes, you yeah. know. Uh, Bell X-1, you know, yep. Chuck... Uh, Chuck Yeager. Chuck Yeager. Going supersonic in the air is actually very easy. Yeah, and safe, relatively. As compared to going supersonic on the ground. Yeah, that's just plain nuts. Because supersonic at ground level, not sea level, but at ground level, changes based on ambient temperature. Yes, it does. When you're up in the atmosphere, you know, up in the sky, 60,000 feet, whatever, it's a fairly even temperature. Down low on the ground, it changes rapidly. So, yes, you know, you might go supersonic at 670 miles an hour. Another guy to do it might be 700 miles an hour. Another guy might be 630, just depending on what the temperature is, where you are going, where you crack that sound barrier. Yeah. Part of the team, part of the philosophy behind what Richard Noble did with Thrust SSC, and he's trying to do now with Bloodhound, is it's a very British patriotic enterprise, but the main idea is to inter- is to excite kids about engineering, and because there's a shortage of qualified engineering people worldwide, that's that's not a unique. I'm not going to argue problem. that at all. That's everywhere. <laughs> so they shared literally everything they were doing with blood with uh, with uh, Thrust SSC was shared publicly when they were doing it in the 1990s, and it is now with Bloodhound today. And they went back retroactively, and, and with what you mentioned about the, the the fine line you walk with the sound barrier on land, 
they went back and retroactively looked at the runs that they made with Thrust SSC, and, and they set the record. And I think the I think the one way, not not the overall record, the overall record I think was 763 miles yeah. an hour. But they did have a lap at 777. On that lap, they didn't know this in the 1990s because the computing power just wasn't there, and they didn't understand fluid dynamics the way they do now. They went back and reanalyzed that run. Seven miles an hour faster, that thing would have taken off like a missile. They were that close to the razor's edge of building up a pressure wave under the nose and having it just fly. Oh, wow. Yeah. And what they're trying to do now, they want to go a 1,000 miles an hour. And really the way they're trying to do this is just, it's so over the top. It's not wheel driven, of course. This thing is literally a dart on the ground. It's going to use a liquid fueled, you can't call it a jet. Well, yeah, it's it's going to be kind of a, it's a ram It's jet. a rock. But they're going to be using, I forget who they get to donate it. It was either Jaguar or Aston Martin is going to be supplying a V8 engine just to power the fuel pump for that engine. And then on top of it will be a dry... Holy... Yeah. Wait, hold up a second. Did you just say this thing had a V8 fuel pump? A V8 fuel pump. And, I, and I'm probably misquoting the specifics. Somebody go on Facebook or Google and, and correct the, correct me. And, that's and if we're wrong, get a hold of us at AP care. at sidetrackpulling.com. I, I know that I know that part's <laughs> correct. But this engine I suppose this engine is supposed to take them up to up to the 700 mile per hour range. Then Andy Green, who's going to pilot this, who piloted thrust SSC, yep. he's going to drive this one too. He hits a button on the steering wheel that fires a dry missile that'll take him above a thousand. And I guess when he does that, you know, he's already going to be accelerating at however many Gs. He's going to hit this thing, and the thing's going to be like seven Gs You're all You're telling over again. me he's firing a Rado. Basically, it's just, it's like having a, he's already going to be driving the jet, and then he's just going to hit a Sidewinder. He's going, going, let's go, baby. He's going back to B-47 days of the rocket-assisted takeoff, a Rado. Yeah. Yep. We've seen videos of what happens with them. That seems safe. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think. First off, I know Andy has more cojones than I could ever had because I mean, right. and he understands to go this for stuff. The, he's an RAF pilot. He understands to this go stuff. through the sound barrier on ground. Yeah, he's been where none of us have been. <laughs> I mean, the sky. At least you got a little bit of distance. You might slow down enough where you can jettison. Yeah, there's no jettisoning anything. And at 770 miles an hour, you are covering a football field in what less than a second but isn't that what but isn't that what makes it so interesting though because in, in this day and age where we've got hans devices and shoulder height surroundings and we've got pavement runoff areas and safer barriers and the, racing is really so safe anymore that he's going to take this risk out of it. and go to this go to some place that none of us can even fathom makes it so exciting you know i mean we'll talk might as well we talk about this you know one of our idols, E.J. Potter. Mm. And we look at this guy going, yeah, what was he smoking? But Why him- wasn't he committed? And how did he not die? And where can I get some? <laughs> <laughs> but to him, it was no big deal. He just just did it. He went to, he was able to put himself in that mental place where this is, this is normal to me. And we've read his biography. And yeah. Yeah, it's just like us, you know. You wiring up a network server, Nick, or Charles, you open a CD for somebody at work, or me, you know, swapping a board in a vending machine. It's, it's nothing. Just, yeah, it's my it's day, what it's you my do. day job. Just what I do. Scary thought, isn't it? <laughs> 
So with that, we're going to take a quick break here. We can come back and get back being nerdy. For all two of you who are possibly listening after my complete railroad rant, or oh, not sorry. rant, but discussion. But we get we get more into some of the other things that I do legitimately for fun. You're not going to believe it. And this is probably going to be something we're going to have going on and on for probably a couple different segments. I you know we kind of dropped this on Nick last minute, but I know we want to get him on a little more next segment. But there's a lot of stuff we do outside of pulling, and every once in a while we need to vent what we do and. Quite honestly, it's what we keeps got a me sane. I live and love pulling. It's it's a, will always be number one, but I'm just enough ADD where there's a lot of other stuff that's got to go hap- happen every day to keep me interested. So with that, we're going to take a quick break here. Give our l- sponsors a listen to and some love. This is Sidetracked on Pulling Radio Network. Life Media Tech is your one-stop shop for multimedia, photography, videography, live event productions, and web systems and infrastructure design and maintenance. Life Media can handle it all. Drew and I trust Life Media to use years of experience to bring sidetrack to you each and every week. Isn't it a time that you did the same? Serving Metro Detroit and the Blue Water area, contact Life Media directly at 810-689-4151. That's Life Media, 810-689-4151. And we're back on Sidetrack with Armstead and Posh on the Pulling Radio Network. And we did check into something. The Men Who Built America is no longer available on Netflix and neither is Dragnet, which means I hope that Netflix dies tonight in a fire. My wife was so pissed when Dragnet got pulled. Oh, me too. When we first played, I played an episode of Dragnet for she thought, oh, my God, this is like the worst show ever. It's the best show ever. I'm like, don't worry. Joe Friday will grow on you. Jack Webb has no affect whatsoever in his acting abilities. No, I was I was trying to I was trying to watch every single episode in succession and I had made it into like the, the third quarter of season three and they pulled it on me and I was like oh, I made no. it, I made it through all of uh Dragnet, all of Adam twelve. That was next. Adam twelve was gonna be and then an emergency after that. And I got through all of emergency. Yeah. Can't mm. I hate you, Netflix. <laughs> I'm stuck now with my girlfriend subjecting me to the binge watching of every episode of House in Succession. Oh, I've God. watched all of House, uh, all of NCIS. Um, I have not watched all of House. It's been on TV while I am being the dork that I am and reading instead. Um, one to watch, uh, Highway Through Hell. Oh, I'm familiar with that. My son loves that show. That yeah. is freaking awesome. Have you heard of it? Mm-mm. Guy named Jamie Davis Towing mm-hmm. uh, up in British Columbia, uh, Hope, British Columbia. Um, he runs a uh, record business uh, that mainly works the Coca-Cola oh, Expressway in, uh, yeah. in British Columbia there. And very, yeah. very high wreck rates. Christian loves that show. And uh, he's got some beautiful heavy wreckers, beautiful rotator. Yeah, I'm another, another thing I'm a geek about is heavy wreckers. Oh, my God, I love them. To me, they're just completely just badass. And this guy, they do they have some really cool stuff on there. And it's unfortunately, they've only got two seasons. I think there's five total they've put out so far. Yeah, um, it's it's not. Yeah, they haven't done a lot of shows. You can you can pretty pretty quickly get through all of them. Yeah, there's I've two walked, seasons on Netflix. Yeah, right now. yeah, yeah, I know there's five seasons total. Uh where they leave off is they were thinking about going up to, uh, uh, what is it, in Alberta, Fort, uh, Fort, Fort, Fort McMurray. McMurray. Fort McMurray, uh, 
Alberta up to the tar sands. Uh, big oil country. So was big was. oil country. Right? That kind of well, not to get into world economics, but that kind of tanked. We know we know some people who have been suffering for that big time. Well, especially yeah, especially through Tanya's family. A lot of them tied to that uh, down on the Gulf side. Well, not only that, and then uh, guy very close to us, Mister Ryan Walker. Yeah, Ryan's been impacted directly by it. He he was involved in that business, and I won't say he's stuck on the family farm now, but I mean that that was a big big income driver for him. Yeah, a great guy too. Yeah. I mean. Oh, totally. Got, you got, I got to give Ryan a mention. Just an awesome guy. Love a pulling and... Just, you good young fella who gets it, you know? Yeah. Down to earth, just... Not a me, 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 where's my handout kind of guy. He, he goes out and gets First it. First guy to come up, shake your hand at a yeah. pull. Hey, how's it going? Yep. Ryan's good. Ryan's good people. So, well, there's a little bit of pulling for this segment. Let's go back to trains. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? We've only had 45 minutes of trains. <laughs> trains do trains do something that I wish auto racing would go back to. They handle mechanically and they don't rely on aerodynamics to get the job done. No, they there's, a, there's a rant I could take off on. They haven't had aerodynamics and trains other than the modern, you know, the bullet trains, bullet trains, bullet trains yeah, Acela, things like that for uh, Amtrak. But they really haven't had in freight locomotives any aerodynamics since the early 50s when the Alco PAs and the EMD F7s and the Baldwin centipedes or baby faces and um, who else? Uh, (laughs) 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 The streamliner era. Yeah. So, and, and you know what? And that's, that's, that was the interesting time in auto racing too. In the sixties when Jim Hall was pioneering wings and sports cars, and then Colin Chapman picked up the the mantle uh, for F1, and the, you know the the developments that went on with with ground effect, pushing the the ability of a race car to go around a corner to such a high level. That was fascinating to watch, and it was good. It was a good thing. But in modern racing, things have become so aero dependent that the racing sucks. It's terrible. And I wish they'd go back to mechanical handling. And I wish there would be tire wars once again, where there was a fight for who had the better tire, because I think it improves the mechanical handling too. And you don't have these spec tires where some, uh, you know, fly-by-night investment company is dictating what uh, sort of spec tire the series is bound to have, and everybody's on the same garbage. Well, one thing you bring up there is we talk about like the streamline era and we can go right into John Deere and farm all with this and, you know, cars and that of the day is it boils down to two names, Henry Dreyfus and Raymond Lowry. Lowry, who styled the farm alls, also styled one of the most beautiful pieces, I have one, of electronica. The Halicrafters S38 line of shortwave radios. I've got one from my father, and it's gorgeous. <laughs> and I, when I found out that Raymond styled the Farmalls, I just went, oh, I get it. This guy was brilliant. You know, and I, it's Henry Dreyfus is another one. You know, God, both we were dorks. great, great minds. And you look, not only these guys design tractors that we love, they defined a whole era mm-hmm. for 20 years these were the guys who designed everything from toasters to vacuum cleaners to cars to locomotives to tractors to airplanes. Yeah. You name it. These guys were the ones you went to 
to style them. And it was a streamlined era. Your toaster was streamlined. Your car had curves. The train you rode to go see your in-laws had curves. These blobs that go up and down the road anymore. I mean, Harley J. Earl would just... Oh, my God. He's spinning in his grave right now. So is Bill Mitchell from the good old days of GM design when things had, you know, fins and wings and bubbles and just it was beautiful. And now we get these just rolling blobs. To me, the worst epitome, the only good style, I think, would be the trucks that came out was the 80s, the square body era. Oh, the square bodies. And the trucks, they look good. Yeah. But the cars, I mean, you look at a Mustang from the 80s. Oh, my gosh. 80s cars are hideous. Uh, you look you look at the Mustang. I'm not a Ford guy, but that's pathetic. You take what was the one of the premier sports car, U.S. sports cars of the era. Yeah. Sharp-looking car for many decades. And all of a sudden, we have this Ford Escort-looking I would say that in, in today's design language, there's only, I consider there's only four auto companies right now, today, Stitch in Time, who are doing it right. Everybody else sucks. Yep, there's a nice Fox body for you. Oh. And everybody and their God. brother who has three, $3,500 puts a th- 351 or a 302 in it and goes, oh my God, I got a badass drag car. Oh my God. God, I'm gonna beat you, and then they Actually, LS that, swap them now. Back that, back even that far. Those aren't terrible. It's the later ones that really suck. The 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 '90s Terminator. Oh God, I'd rather have the old Fox body over a Terminator. Yeah, Ugh, horrible. But the, today, you know, car design. There's only four companies doing it right. I think Audi, Porsche, Ford, and Kia quite honestly, are doing it right. Everybody else, what the hell? What the hell? I would have thrown two others in there, but they're known for their supercars. At that level, okay, yes, yeah. Ferrari and Ferrari and Lamborghini, Lamborghini are doing it right. And McLaren. McLaren, McLaren has hit I, some. You take yeah. any of them. I got to say, I like the newest vet. I'm not a vet guy, but... I'm not a vet guy either. I, I never like the newest it. one. They're, they're getting... Bad. To where they're trying to come after the supercars. Absolutely. And uh, it's good to see because, let's face it, you go over to Europe, we're a joke. No, yeah. we are. But, yeah, the modern, the newest Corvettes are decent. The Camaro, no, don't get it. And I nope. don't understand this GM design language thing, particularly the Chevrolets are real heavy with this right now. What is this matte gray plastic hexagon thing you insist on tacking all over every freaking car you make? It's ugly. Is it? It's like the ghost of the Pontiac Aztec, <laughs> <laughs> or the Chevy Avalanche. Here, let's tack gray plastic on there. That'll look great. What the hell? Was a stylist a formerly employed at Rubbermaid? <laughs> no, little tykes cars. He just yeah. drew up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Horrible. What is the Stop Toy- that. What is the Toyota that's got that uh, blobby looking SUV that they made that looks exactly like a little tykes car I had oh, back geez. in the day? It's like you, you T- guys Toyota needs to stay away from bigger vehicles. <laughs> <laughs> but, and the funny thing is, they can actually do it right when they really apply themselves. Like in the Lexus, the large SUV that's based on the Toyota Sequoia, driven one. Brilliant. Brilliant truck. But they is, 
And I think part of the problem is nowadays is the average individual doesn't look at a car as what they looked back in the baby boom era. No. Where it was, you might have one car. If you're lucky, you had two. And your car was a statement of who you are. No, today there's there's simply an appliance. It's a means of going from point A to point B. They spend more time looking at this little piece of plastic I have in my hand that yeah. has a screen, a few buttons, but completely controls my world, and I'll admit it. Mine too. Because of, well, a lot of it more recently is because of this show, you know, managing the Facebook page and the emails and that back and forth and work, but they care more about what they have. They don't see as far as gadgets and gizmos versus their cars. They don't see the car as the automotive, the rolling extension of their personality. And, you know, to a certain extent, yeah, I'm quite proud of the fact that I, the two vehicles I drive every day, one, yes, it's completely emasculating. It's a rusting tan Mercury Sable station wagon. It's in 2002. That's a woman getter right there. You know what? I don't really. Woman getter away. <laughs> but I don't care. It does what I need it to do. It does everything I need it to do. And then the other one is a very early generation Ford Super Duty F350. I think Ford, between 1999 and 2003, God, did they knock pickup truck design out oh, of the park. Oh, it was absolutely gorgeous. Oh, these gorgeous. are some gorgeous trucks. The Super At Duties now the are. At least the Super Duties, the 250s, yeah. 350s. The 150, no, not so much. The, they the kind of let their pencil just drift off on the, the current. The current aluminum F one fifty that everybody derides because aluminum. I think it's a gorgeous truck. I really like it. But on the Super Duty side, they've turned them into these bro truck bling monsters. The the after Kelly about lean a, style, ca- baby. Yeah, after about two thousand five, they really lost me. And to me, the the, you know, the around two thousand three, mm, and I could put a two thousand three front clip on mine. Oh, absolutely. And make it look the same. And if I ever had the unfortunate of an auto accident or hitting a deer, I would repair it that way. Um, just because I like the look of it. But beyond that, oh God, that, that truck I, I is do like the newer front gorgeous. ends, but the rest of them, yeah. yeah. And GM was the same. I mean, I tolerate the looks now, but it was at 99 through 02. Those weren't pickups. bad. Those were sharp. Yeah, where they were they they updated little the curve silver, to them, a little bit of curve to them, but they didn't yet have the the slanted, squinting at your eyeball headlights that they went to around 04 and look like the hood got slammed one too many yeah, times. Yeah, and then everything, everything, in. everything since then. Now, now it looks like the thing got stung by a bunch of bees, <laughs> and it's rolling around on these little you know, rubber bands around a donut tire with these huge ass fender wells. I so, hate those. Wh- why do you, why do you do that? Four twenty life. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I I'll admit the new LMLs. I like them. They are sharp trucks. No, can't I can't can't do it. Dodge still looks goddamn sexy though. <laughs> I I can't get into them either. It was cool when they first when they first did the the semi truck thing with the scalloped in fenders back in the nineties. It was really cool. Now it just looks it. Looks tired. I, I, I don't care for the newer Dodges at all. Sucks no. for you. I, I, I'm not there either. I just I'm not. I don't like I don't like the fact that after three damn months you can start to see the rust stains in them either. Yeah. I mean, really, what the? 
Sorry, Dodge guys. They were never known for steel quality, but the new ones? God damn. You think they could have learned something by now? Junk. Well, and that's, well... I can we're gonna I, I can really tee off on automotive industry Chinese knowledge steel? here. Chinese steel because of your marauding CEO, Mister One Sergio Marchione, who just would love to just nothing more than rape and pillage the remnants of FCA and then ride off into the sunset. I'm quite sure with his golden parachute because that's pretty much where we're at. I have the same thing with the railroad industry right now. <laughs> Actually, one you know, this is kind of like you know what you know what's going on here with this. What we we started off with our interests, but it's actually turned into like consumerism commentary. We've really kind of gone sidetracked after dark without the profanity. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I'm not gonna lie, I really like it. This is fun. <laughs> but you know, we're talking. I'm gonna go back on my railroad rant because I don't care. Well, I have a microphone exactly. and you don't, so you will. Every damn word I have to say! Exactly. And you will like it. Because the Dobbs broke... Wait, we don't have knobs on radios anymore, do we? Well, it's all And we don't really play over radio. I do do in my cars because they're really old. (laughs) I'm excited to have my 6.5 back on the road because I'll have a CD player. Hell yeah. (laughs) We're we're bringing old school back to you. He's going to get his 6.5 back on the road and the 7.3 returns when... We stopped seeing Snowfly around here. So, yeah, the old school trucks are coming to the ZTPA this year. What what, what year's the old 7.3? It's actually, by model year, it's a 99, but the build date is March 1998. It's one of the very first Super Duties ever built. So, yours is basically 98 like mine. Yep, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's, it's a 98, a 99 model year, but it's a 98 truck. I still haven't owned a vehicle in my name. My wife has an 06 Saturn, but I have yet to own a vehicle that's in the 2000s. <laughs> and here I am with my 04 seeming like a spring chicken. <laughs> yeah. And I, I only inherited I only inherited my 2002. I mean, the, the vehicles I've had, the, the 2002 Mercury, um, the white truck's a 98. My V10 that I had was a 99. And then prior to that, I had two Dodge Neons, which were 98 and 95, respectively. The red neon that you could not kill. (laughs) That thing never owed me a dime. I put 350,000 miles on that turd. Let's not talk about the old Saturn. (laughs) Just rolled 215. I don't know how that car's still alive. For the longest time, I hated that damn neon. But when I knew we were north of 300,000, I started taking pride in it. (laughs) Like I'll chin- tell my story about the Saturn another time in the tire adventure this past week. But <laughs> we could get into the Shiawassee clutch story. <laughs> yeah, that was an expensive ordeal. <laughs> we should have Mark. We actually we should save that one. We'll have Mark. We'll have, Mark we'll have Osborne. We'll talk about we'll that. We'll have Osborne one. in studio for that one. <laughs> and thank you again, Mark. Our intro as always. Uh, great job there. Um, but. I want to go back. You're ranting about uh, Lee Marchione or whatever. Damn me. I don't care who the hell he is because he's an idiot. But Yeah, he's an idiot. You talk about him just ruining an industry. You go back, even back to the early 90s, you had what they call a class one railroad, the big name railroads. Yeah, really? <laughs> I can't. <laughs> 
I wish I would have been faster with my phone to just take a picture of that face you were getting. Like, really? You're going to go there again? Yeah, I am. In my defense, I may have been drinking. <laughs> no, and we haven't. Clearly. Not nearly as much as him. No, he's had the some horse. going down good. He's had some <laughs> horsepower in that glass. We've been drinking this Budweiser, and he's like, I'm sitting there looking at him like, that's I nitrous. To, I need to get me one of them. <laughs> I have thought, and, and I've only ever just approached the thought of going full bourbon on one of these episodes, and I just, I'm like, no, that's that's bad. Don't do it. You can crash at my place. You know that. It's not, I'm not worried about crashing. Spare bed right over there. That's not my concern. It's whether or not we'll have anything that can be publishable. <laughs> I may go full profane Ishkabibble. <laughs> Thank God it's Ishkabibble, though nobody will understand it. But since I was so rudely interrupted, it might be complete Ishkabibble. That escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. It might be Ishkabibble, but I can still drop an F bomb that makes sense, and I don't want that on this show. I don't want that for us. Sidetracked after dark. Uh, coming, the, the, soon, subscribe, coming soon. Subscriber only. But uh, talk about ruining an industry, you know, there's a lot of people you can blame for whether it's the airline industry and they're kind of semi-collapse here every once in a while. <laughs> Railroads, you went from, well, God, now 25 years ago, you had 10 to 12 class one railroads, big name railroads. You're down to seven. And. Once again, one of the biggest ones been bought out, bought out Canadian Pacific, and now they want to evade America. They're going after two different other railroad companies now. It's like, you know what? Just stay doing what you're doing. You're perfectly fine. No. <laughs> Our sound engineer is drunk. <laughs> so that's all I had to say about that since we keep yep. getting interrupted. You want to talk about electronics? Let's talk. I'm, I'm good. You want to talk about Steve Jobs? You know, he's been dead for a long time. He's not really that fascinating these days. <laughs> I thought they had question a hologram now. I question whether or not he was fascinating ever. Waz is pretty cool. Just because he has a name, you can say drunk. Waz. I can say Jobs drunk. You know, I can too. screw up a train. Something else that we like. Tornadoes. Ah, yes, yes. Oh, I've God. never seen one. And I have tried. Boy, have I tried. I have, I have when I was real young. I haven't been out chasing in a while. It's, it's been probably, uh, wow. Oh that reminds God. me, you got to go for your storm spotter certification. You know, certification I never seem like to be able to do that because well, it, it's taken me this long to get to NTPA tech school. So maybe in 10 years, we'll get to the storm spotter certification thing. This one doesn't cost a dime, though. Yeah, no, I know. It's just being able to go. But yeah, it's, it's one of those things I've been fascinated by the... Um, the mesoscale and smaller scale severe storms. Hurricanes don't do it for me. Don't care. But the tornado stuff, really, really fascinating. I've done some pretty deep dives oh, her- and, and reading on Hurricanes are like women. Besides the fact that they're a lot of the times named for them. They come in wet and wild and they leave with your house and your car. <laughs> anyway... No, I've done some. <laughs> that reminds me, I need a rim shot uh, drop. <laughs> but I've got into it. It's something I've studied on a pretty, pretty heavy level. But yeah, I have not had the time 
to pursue it. And and being where we're at here in Michigan, we don't get the opportunity. Maybe probably good we chase have days. Of late. We have, but still on an annual basis, good chase days, you maybe, maybe, if you have nothing else going on in your life, which I clearly don't, neither neither you guys, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> it's just we're too damn busy. But it, good chase days in the state of Michigan, you maybe get four a year if you're lucky. And I haven't had the ability to avail myself of that kind of an opportunity. It's been 15, 16 years. And the the last time I did have, was presented with that opportunity, it was by accident. One was bearing down upon me at Goodles. Yeah, and I that was, was there this, with that one. Yeah, and that was the same same damn night that you know. Back to the polling stuff. Last night I ever saw Psycho intact roadside for sale. Do, 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 yeah. Do, do, do. So there's there's an odd sort of symmetry there. You know. Yeah. For me personally, that that storm at Goodles you talked about was actually I think it was the first year. They were in the crater, as they call it now. They relocated mm-hmm. from the hor- sand horse tracks, um, which the, weren't the, even the like a horse side. track, like a quarter mile track, like a lot of places. No, these well, were just, just arena. riding arenas. Yeah, just an arena. And moved to the crater on the north side with actual clay track and that. And the sound system was just horrible. Oh, they didn't have any infrastructure to start with. It was, they do they, now. They had right? speakers that you could just hear like every other word. Yeah. Let's not get me started on sound systems. <laughs> not tonight. <laughs> 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 but um, sitting there, my dad, we had just bought the 99 Dodge. They bought brand new. And uh, we're watching. We can see a storm coming in from the west. We'll yeah. set the scene for everybody. And unlike most storms, you get a darker blue sky coming in for a normal summer storm this one was really really dark oh it was black well it started really really dark and it kind of was going around and then it went black and within within what three minutes of it going black it just engulfed the entire place and the sound system is tornado and everybody went nuts Oh yeah, it was it was a scary night for me. Um, so my uncle was with us. He lived three miles down the road west towards the storm, and instead of just going and hiding, finding some shelter somewhere, my dad goes, "No, we're going to drop him off. We're going to go home." Drives into the son of a bitch. <laughs> I inadvertently did the same thing, but I'll, I'll let you tell your, your version of it, and then I'll give you my version and of it. And what was scary to find out is they had two tornadoes within 15 miles north of us up in Jetto. They did, and, and then there were some after the storm crossed the river into Ontario. Yeah. Yeah, they did. So, you know, I remember the hail and that, and we actually just pulled the truck right into the garage and got out there. Just It was a scary deal. And that's honestly what sparked my, you know, I used to be terrified of storms as a kid. And I've taken that being scared of it and turned it around into something that it's a passion of mine now. I love learning about them and really love kind of chasing them when I do get to or at yeah. least following them and mapping uh, mapping paths of storms and things like that, barometric pressures and, yeah, the music, you know, yeah, full geek shit. <laughs> yeah, I had, gone, I had gone out to Goodles that night. My intentions were to videotape it. It was going to be... That year, 1999, in fact, I just went through the tape last night because I had lost a lot of it. I don't know how it had gotten deleted off my laptop, so I was rerunning it so I could burn it off to DVDs and, and found that original footage um, just you know, just last evening. And um, 
that would have been, it was a great year for me. I went to Brigden, Ontario. I caught the Grand National, the one time only at Lake Odessa, Michigan. Both nights of Emily City, the ATPA hooks at North Branch and Burville. Goodles would have been in there had the storm not been there. Um, Allegan Region 2 and both nights at Hillsdale for Wolverine State to wind up the season. Well, I get there and it, I came up, came from Romeo, so I came up Wales Center Road from the south and uh, to, to Lapeer and headed east. And the sky is just black off to the northwest. So I get to the gate and the, the ticket taker or whatever the heck, you know, what do you think? You know, I think this is going to get canceled. And he says, well, I don't know. You can look at the sky same as me. I said, yeah, you're probably right. Decide not to pay the entry fee to go in. It's probably going to get canceled. This this storm's a big one. If I've, it's the only time in my life I can quite honestly say yes. That was a supercell. That one you could actually feel the barometric pressure mm-hmm. drop as it came in, and the temp dropped thirty degrees in all of about thirty seconds. Yeah, it sure did. I so the, the storm's coming in. I leave, you know, pull off off the gate from Lapeer Road and head east, and you know, probably half a mile. And there was a new subdivision development on the north side, and I pulled in there and stopped. And I got my video camera out, and I'm videotaping the storm coming in because I figure, all right, fine, we're not going tractor pulling. We're going to do storm chase instead. And I start to recognize quite straight away, there's a wall cloud, and it's coming right at me. This is not good. And this was in also, you know, this was 1999. This was early days for cell phones. I had an old Sprint. It was a Qualcomm phone. Did, you know, no texting, no data, no nothing. It was a phone and that's it. And I had my Ford V10 then that night. I'm like, this is not a good spot to be in. I'm getting the hell out of here. So I start driving west uh, back. I want to go back to Whale Center. And the further I get down Lapeer Road, the more I'm starting to see the trees start to bend over flat towards me. It was on Wales. It was on Lapeer Road, somewhere east of, between Goodles and Wales Center, which in this area that's only about a mile and a half. Yep. I found out that Ford V10s have a governor on the speeder speedometer at ninety-five miles per hour. This was about the time my mom called me. It says, "Hey, there's a tornado warning up there. Are you okay?" I said, "Yeah, I know about it." As I'm watching Wales Center Road go past me at the left side window at ninety-five miles an hour. I want to turn south and get the hell away from this thing. So I just drop the phone, slam on the brakes, do a UE. Mom's on the phone now, apoplectic, because (laughs) I'm not on this phone any longer. All she hears is the phone bouncing off the floorboards of the truck. All ass town wheel center. I fish the phone out at considerably above the speed limit on Wales Center to tell mom I'm okay. And I get to the railroad tracks. And there's a freighter. And I'm going, I'm going to die. <laughs> Stupid train. <laughs> Stupid train. I wait for that thing to leave and, you know, finally get across the tracks and get to a place where I've, I'm, I'm okay. It's like, you know, the trees aren't bending over anymore. There's not limbs snapping off. It's going to be okay and start videotaping. Yeah, you can clearly see it. And then on the way home, yeah, I do run into Psycho on the side of the road down on Armada uh, Center, Armada Ridge, which that thing... We've yeah. talked about it on the show before, disappeared into the night, just gone. Not because of the storm, it just freaking vanished. We don't know where it went. I think there's a correlation there, just saying. But might uh. be might be an odd might be an odd coder to that story. I wish we would get proper closure, but I don't think we're ever going to. 
But that was the first storm I ever saw an inflow tail. Yes, yes. I've seen it since, but that's the first time I did see it too. And actually, you and I both have done... I've been certified, you haven't, but... No. Was it you and I who were out at my parents, was it last year or two years ago? I think it was last year. We were going out to the pink. We met up at my parents, and there was a freaking inflow tail going on. And it wasn't an overly stormy day, but there was an actual inflow tail heading off into the east with visible rotation. I don't recall that, but it might have been. And that's uh, like, you know what that brings up something. Here, let's go deeper into this and geek out. the The wind shear idea it starts off as a horizontal barrel roll, correct? That somehow gets inflow lift and then turns vertical, correct? My first job when I started when I was thirteen years old for Parks and Rec in Romeo was to go out and paint the soccer fields at Simpson Park. There was six, at the time, the current layout then was six six fields. I went out there. Mom dropped me off because there were, there were storms approaching. I went out there to go do, do it for, for the week. And while I was there, there was a system that approached that was the horizontal wind shear barrel roll. You could look up on the sky, the sky and watch this. It looked like a giant wheel, mm-hmm. you know, this mile-long wheel. spinning too. Yeah, it was still horizontal. I watched it roll over where I was working. I was under no threat at that point, but um, you know, I, I ran back to the car and said, "Hey, mom, did you just see?" You know, of course, she didn't. She was reading a book or whatever. But I knew what it was from from reading about this stuff. And later that evening, the storm did go vertical. The system did go vertical, and it touched off tornadoes in Ontario across the river. But to have seen it in that sort of you know infant state. And and recognize it for what it was as a kid, you know that was that was super cool. So th- there's two instances where I've seen some some of the phenomena I'm after, but I've never actually seen a tornado. And I don't do I want to see one, of course, but I want to see it tear up somebody's cornfield and not hurt anybody or destroy. Yeah, actual property. absolutely. You know, I mean it's it's the fascination and pure raw power of Mother Nature. Yes, absolutely. Who we will never be able to control, never be able to harness. And I think that's what makes it so fascinating, so interesting for me. Yeah. Is I'm a horsepower junkie. Yeah, and that is I mean And that is the ultimate form of horsepower. We've heard the descriptor of a tornado, it's the finger of God. It really, really is. Yeah. So need another drink, Nick? No. You look thirsty. No, I'm all right. You sure? I think I'm good. Your one eye is still half open. <laughs> <laughs> Just want to make sure you're okay when you call me tomorrow morning going, what the hell did I do last night? Well, sadly, it's all been recorded. <laughs> <laughs> I can assure you haven't said anything completely stupid yet. <laughs> but we got a minute 40 roughly, so go ahead. Let's hear it. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, good show so far. God, I have had fun here. This has been a fun show. It's been a chance for us to kind of blow off steam, unload a little bit about who we are and, and, and expand Get inside that. the madness. Get inside the madness and, and let go of the, you know, I talked about at the top of the show, the, the extroverted introvert, let go of that control piece just a little bit and let you in on who I am and what I'm about a little bit. And I hope the two of you felt the same way. Oh, absolutely. I know uh, we got talking you and I, what are we going to do? Because we're, you know, we're going to be in between guests. And we got a lot going on as far as tomorrow with the poll over in Mason and that. And just what are we going to do for a show? And I go, 
why don't we just talk about our hobbies and interests? Yeah, and if if this if any of this has been interested interesting to you, and you want to hear more on on the train stuff, you want to hear more about chainsaws, more about just auto racing in general, something about electronics, something about photography, any of the things we to, to severe weather, some of the stuff that we've touched on. Because now that you know it's an interest for the three of us, feel free to let us know, and we'll we'll dedicate an entire show to it. I'm cool with that. We'll talk about anything you want to. I mean, absolutely, get a hold of us. I know I rattle it off all the time. We should just have it as a damn drop at this point. But <laughs> just push a button. And AP at sidetrackpolling.com. Quick, easy way to email us. Main social media mainframe for us. Get a hold of us on Facebook. Sidetrack with Armstead and Post. Post. Go on there. Like, share the page with all your friends. Uh, let them know what craziness we do. And uh, shoot us a message. We respond within... I believe we're at a three-minute barrier still. So. Still are, yeah. We're back so we're we're, we're, we were all the way up to seven for a couple of seconds there. I, I, saw, it hit, yeah, I saw it hit 11, but we, uh, we That was back. Ray Taluki sending us messages, and that's why I just started sending the thumbs up back to him. <laughs> so that way showed I replied. Because <laughs> it was really irking me. Our reply time kept going up. I'm like, but I'm looking at it. There's nothing to reply to. But So there's another geeky part, but... Uh, Nick, you got anything you want to talk about? I'm good for tonight. You're good? Yeah. I think I've had enough gin. I'll just keep quiet. <laughs> Once again, thank you, Nick, with Life Media. Another awesome job, as always, being our sound engineer. And uh, Always my pleasure. I'm sure he's going to be doing some video, and I think we're going to venture into some uh, videos pretty soon for campaign 2016. Armstead yeah. Post for president. We're going to be able to back on that. Back on the Facebook page, I'm going to be dropping something on you right now. As soon as I hit this button with my thumb on my phone, some pulling footage that uh, slipped past me. Give it a look and uh, hopefully you like it. It's a, one of those transitional moments in time that I was able to, fortunate enough to capture back in 1999. Kenny Measle and Arnie Kwiatkowski with the Alkies versus Jim Shandorf, Jerry Van Dorpy, and Danny Dean on Diesel's. So that'll be firing tonight, Thursday night. Yep, that's be up. So uh, make sure you get over and look at it. With that, we're going to sign off. We've had enough talking and hearing our own voices, and we're going to hear ourselves way too much in the coming days. So with that, my name's Armstead. My name is Post Two O's, pronounced like it's one. Have a great night. That was wonderful. Bravo. I loved that. Oh, it was great. Well, it was pretty good. Well, it wasn't bad. Well, there were parts of it that weren't very good, It could have been a lot better. I didn't really like it. It was pretty terrible. It was bad. It was awful. It was terrible. Get him away. Hey, boo. Boo. Get out my trailer. I want you out.